1: Setting up Stripe was a breeze, taking just minutes to get up and running. From local markets to global retailers, Stripe helped me expand my reach and grow my business with ease. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone.
2: Christopher Camacho has supported independent tech news directly for five years. Christopher rocks. Be like Christopher. Become a DTNS member at patreon.com slash DTNS. This is the greatest daily tech news for Tuesday, March 26, 2019, in Los Angeles. I'm Tom Merritt.
3: And from Studio Feline, I'm Sarah Lane.
4: And from a finally sunny Finnish countryside, I'm Patrick Beja. Uh,
0: and from a standard LA County sun, warm land, I'm the show's producer, Roger Chang. Uh,
2: we have got a lot of great emails. It's a Talk Back Tuesday today. Um, but first, let's start with a few tech things you should know.
3: Google launched AMP for email coming to Gmail, Yahoo Mail, Outlook, and Mail.ru. AMP for email allows functions like RSVP, questionnaires, or browsing store inventory to happen within the email client itself. AMP emails still use standard HTML as a failsafe in email clients that don't support AMP.
4: Huawei announced the P30 and P30 Pro in Paris on Tuesday. The P30 Pro is a 6.47-inch OLED Android phone and has a quad-camera system with up to 10 times lossless zoom and a small cutout for the camera on the front screen and AI help with photos. The P30 Pro has no headphone jack, or earpiece using the screen uh, vibration to generate cold sounds and also includes reverse wireless charging the smaller p30 is a 6.1 inches with a three camera system and a headphone jack the p30 costs 799 euros and the p30 pro starts at 999 euros ranging up to 1249 euros on sale immediately in europe
2: asus confirmed uh, that yes indeed its live update tool had been targeted by an advanced persistent threat as discovered by kaspersky lab we mentioned it yesterday asus customer service has been reaching out to affected users and asus says the backdoor exploit has been fixed in the latest version of its live update software it has also introduced end-to-end encryption and more security verification tools for customers
4: let's talk a little bit about the bad news for samsung Indeed, Samsung warned it would report disappointing financial results for the first three months of the year due to chip and LCD screen price drops, which points to further slowing of demand for smartphones and other gadgets. Samsung's update follows a 7% decline in smartphone shipments globally during the fourth quarter of 2018, the fifth quarterly decline, according to an an analysis by the Hong Kong-based research firm counterpoint
2: yeah so you know the short version is samsung not having a problem selling its own phones samsung feeling the pressure of just smartphones in general not selling as well as they used to because they sell the parts that make them
4: so it's essentially a confirmation uh, another point uh as we just said that shows yeah they're not selling – no one is selling as many smartphones. Or maybe I shouldn't say no one. But overall, there are a lot right. less smartphones being sold uh, than there were before. And it makes sense. The
3: yeah, Samsung's getting true. a lot of attention. Like, ooh, this is rare from Samsung. But I I assume that this is going to be the trend for Samsung's rivals as well.
2: I think it hits Samsung because they make phones and they're a very important parts supplier with their memory of chips course. and such and screens. That so, too.
4: Yeah. It's – well, okay. It's interesting because – Some phones are just some phone companies are just now uh, uh, hitting their stride and creating really compelling uh, lower priced phones or mid range phones. And the market is shrinking or not growing as much as it used to. So I wonder what's going to happen to those who don't have time to uh, evolve their business into something more.
2: Look at Nokia and BlackBerry to find out.
3: Mm. (laughs) A paper published in preliminary form ahead of its presentation at the IEEE Symposium on Security and Privacy describes potential privacy and security risks of preloaded software on... Android. The study looked at 82,501 pre-installed Android apps across 1,700 devices made by 214 vendors. It found that a large number of actors tracked and obtained personal information without the user being aware of it, and most can't be deleted. Most third-party SDKs for advertising used uh, SDKs for advertising and user tracking. Self-signed certificates often made it difficult to know who even developed the app that you downloaded, and often standard app permission requests are sidestepped with custom permissions sometimes. In the hundreds. The researchers recommend the implementation of global certificates and documentation of the pre installed apps.
2: Yeah, you didn't even download these. They just came installed. And uh, what this paper is trying to shine a light on is Google may feel like, hey, but there are partners. It's good. It's fine. But Google actually isn't involved in all these partnerships. A lot of times it's with the vendors. Those partnerships may go through varying levels of vetting depending on the vendor and what their practices are. Uh, And so just because it's pre installed doesn't mean it's entirely safe, uh, whether through incompetence or maliciousness. And it's really hard to audit these kinds of apps because they're pre-installed. That, that to me seems to be the biggest takeaway of this report.
3: Yeah, I was asking you before the show, Tom, it, it's like, it, you know, as an end user, what can you do? Well, you get mad at Google, really, because it's something that Google can tackle, but but the rest of us don't have much to say about it.
4: Yeah, it would seem like something really Google Google should have been worried about with the uh, emphasis on privacy that's been brewing for at least a couple of years now. It's surprising to me that they didn't, or maybe they are starting to work on on this issue and it's such a mess because they have so many partners across the Android ecosystem. But it feels pretty bad to me in today's privacy conscious world.
2: Yeah, and the Google response to this, I have to say, uh, is not as uh sincere as it it has been to other privacy related things. They they're a tiny bit dismissive. Um I think partly because they're like, well, we can't control what vendors do, but they could. Uh that that's one of the things that they're getting, you know, brought in front of antitrust regulators for is having influence over all these vendors in lots of ways. This this is a way they could exercise that influence. Mm. The European Parliament approved the new copyright directive Tuesday, 348 to 278. It includes Article 11, uh, sometimes the one referred to as a link tax, and what was Article 13 but has now been renumbered to Article 17. We'll keep calling it Article 13 for clarity's sake, but if you see it referred to as 17, that's why. Uh, It requires companies to demonstrate they're taking action to prevent copyright infringement. It does not apply to cloud storage, and it exempts parity. Now, Article 11 is the one that gives news organizations the right to, quote, the online use of their press publications by information society service providers. However, it allows for sharing of hyperlinks, individual words, or very short extracts of a press publication. Anything beyond that, though, requires permission. Article 13, the one that's now in the final draft, Article 17, declared that copyright infringement shouldn't happen, but leaves it up to member countries and companies on how to combat it. And a recent draft stated, according to Ars Technica, cooperation between online content service providers and rights holders shall not result in the prevention of the availability of works or other subject matter uploaded by users which do not infringe copyright and related rights. So in order to avoid liability on Article 13, you could put in an algorithmically generated upload filter, but you shouldn't prevent people from putting up works that they do have the right to do. Uh, They basically say, don't do anything bad. That's the new law. Member states will now need to approve these uh, directives and implement them. After they've approved them, they have two years to implement them. And most legal experts say that the effect of the directive will depend a lot on how it's implemented. Uh, this is typical for directives of this kind, as each member nation translates it into its nation's specific law. Uh, Patrick, I know you had
4: some insight about this as well. I don't know about insight. Uh, some measure of despair, maybe. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I'm on the record, I think, on in the uh, American slash English speaking world as saying, you know, you, sometimes you need governments to get involved and it's important for, for regulations to happen because companies aren't going to regulate themselves and you need someone to be looking out for the other side of the, uh, uh, relationship there. Um, And people often respond to me, yeah, but then governments become overbearing and they create regulations that are impossible to understand and that will hamper the efforts of some of the smaller companies, et cetera, et cetera. I think I still stand by my initial statement. I think this is a good example of the the latter of the example of the cases where indeed government can maybe uh, uh, try to please everyone and ends up maybe pleasing no one the problem with this law and with these article these two articles specifically is how vague they are yeah. um it is extremely difficult for a company to do business when you don't know what law what the law uh should how you can uh, uh respect the law the key issue i think in article 11 it's the link tax which says which Decides what you can and can't use is very short extracts. Um, because you still have the right to uh, quoting something, uh, fair use essentially, but it says you can't do it beyond very short extra- extracts. And we don't know. No one knows what very short extracts means. Right. So it's essentially going to have to go to the courts, uh, is uh, my lawyer wife's analysis. And I think it makes sense. The courts are going to have to say, well, this fits and this doesn't. Right. Because um,
2: Slovakia could say it means something different than Italy, than France. And then it all goes up to the European Court of Justice. And then that that's where it finally gets remedied, Right.
4: Yeah, and I think it could even be as vague in the local implementations which doesn't help anyone. Um so this is kind of a uh smh moment, shake my head and facepalm. There I'm certain there would have been better ways of of doing this and the content ID type thing, the filter is I mean, I could talk about that for that for another yeah. uh, uh two days. See previously
2: 5 years of DTNS.
4: Yeah. Um <laughs> I think the 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 effects of this law are being exaggerated a little bit by the people who are against it, myself included. I've been guilty of that. Uh, ultimately, it will end up somewhere in the middle. But the goal is definitely to protect a very important content industry in Europe that has been lobbying for this. And I don't think it was the I, – I doubt it was the right way to do it, but we'll see.
2: The The link tax one is vague enough, right? Uh, and I think Google is over-exaggerating when they say, "Well, this is what we'll have to do," which is no show no pictures and just the name of the publication. That 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 is exaggerating. Uh, but Article 13 now 17 is the one where like they're like, "Just don't do anything bad, okay? Uh, don't allow any copyright infringement, but also don't stop people from using their fair use rights." Got it? Okay, great. You all just don't.
4: Yeah, do you it got
3: wrong two years. It'll be fine.
4: Yeah, yeah, and and the <laughs> example of content ID on on YouTube is the exact case uh right. for for the the application of that law uh, which we know how many issues it creates so uh, it, they can it, in that situation YouTube, for example, is damned if they do and damned if they don't because they do have issues with the algorithm, et cetera, et cetera. I can't right? remember
2: if it was also or, or someone else, but someone in the European Union uh, said, "Well, they'll just have to get innovative," which is that—that's always a great uh, basis <laughs> for a law. Is yeah, you know, especially
3: mm. when you're forced. Yeah, <laughs> forced innovation
4: works. Just well. do it better. Oh,
3: damn all it! Right? I had, had thought of that. Thanks Thank for reminding us.
4: Yeah. Oh. Uh, i'll add one last thing and i'm sure it will launch uh some people into a frenzy but the uh right to be forgotten was much maligned before it was voted into law and i don't think it has created the, the maelstrom of censorship and uh despair that some people were predicting i'll leave it to that sure
2: it hasn't been as bad as some people said i think that's certainly
4: mm. fair to say you got the next one uh I have the next one. Damn it, I lost my place. Oh, there you go. Okay, uh, breathe. All right, let's talk about Apple. That will make me happy. Uh, Apple introduced Apple Arcade Monday, giving you access to multiple video games across phone, tablet, Apple TV, and Mac for one monthly, coming, uh, one monthly price coming this autumn. We don't know how much it will cost or how revenue will be split with developers. Apple did say it's funding development of the games, although we don't know if it's all the games that will be on the service or some of them. Mm. The Verge's Andrew Webster knows notes that while most developers uh, he talked to were cautiously optimistic, there was a concern that it could negatively affect paid game sales. It's not clear if arcade will be out uh, of reach for most developers. Apple touted mobile exclusivity of its arcade titles. This is an interesting one. Um, I think it tries to answer an issue that, developers of mobile games have had since the launch of the um, uh, of the, the the app store in that it's very hard to compete with free. Most games that are super popular are free games, especially with an audience that is maybe usually more casual, uh, uh, made of casual gamers, who would rather try a game first and see what happens than pay up front. Uh, uh, it potentially, this could be an interesting way of Apple to get people to pay for paid games. Uh, of course, free games will not be part of that service. But I think a lot of people will be likely to subscribe to this and thus effectively uh, pay uh, for games on a more regular basis. Um, would have previously. And they're also having an interesting approach with uh, very talented game developers, very uh, peculiar types of games. Um, So I think overall, most people I've I've seen uh, discuss this are quite positive about it.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's good in that it helps the people who want to make a game that you just download and play offline and you don't want to have to keep buying donuts or coins or whatever. Uh, But... You know when they're signing up, Will Wright, the creator of SimCity or Hironobu, Sakaguchi, the Final Fantasy Mastermind, uh, it does it impress, it's impressive like those are going to be great games, but it, it makes me wonder if we're going to continue to see the small developers uh, be able to come up because Apple would be picking the winners and losers by picking who gets into this program.
4: Well, the alternative is mostly no one pays for paid games. I'm, I'm exaggerating, sure, of course, sure. some people yeah. do. But the the big issue that we've seen in the gaming world is that it's very, very difficult to get people to pay for games on mobile. Um, and they're still going to be there. I think it's still going to be an option. Uh, but overall, I would suspect that it would be uh, uh, added to the overall revenue for these developers than if it didn't exist. Mm.
3: The BBC has pulled its podcasts from the Google Podcast app and also Google Assistant. The BBC's Director of Distribution and Business Development, Karen Clifton, said that the company is not comfortable with Google's practice of directing users to search for podcasts in the Google app rather than BBC Sounds, which is BBC's own app, or other third-party services. Clifton said that the company asked to be excluded from this feature, but Google declined. So the BBC BBC said... Well, fine. We're going to pull the podcast then completely. Clifton also criticized Google over making it difficult to obtain audience data, which makes it harder to personalize services, among other things. The BBC is blocking Google simply through a robots.txt entry.
2: Yeah, I, I love that part of the story the most. Like, uh, BBC didn't ask for a law. <laughs> they just used a robots.txt <laughs> file, which, which Google respects. Good for Google for respecting the robots.txt file. That's why it's there. Uh, I think Chris Welch at The Verge actually did uh, point out something important, which is if you read that BBC post, it does feel like they're more upset about the difficulty obtaining audience data than they are about the redirection of users to within the Google Podcast app. They just use that as the, yeah, the audience did
3: is something that the BBC wants. If but they that, feel that, like that, they're, you know, if that, they could get it, they, 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 yeah, exactly. This is, you know, this is a huge broadcasting corporation um, yeah. taking uh, their services off. I'm not saying it's
2: going to sink the Google Podcast app, but I think the Google Podcast app was having a hard enough time getting some traction. This is certainly not going to help it.
4: I believe that you also can't uh, add a podcast by URL. In, no, you uh, Google can't podcast add it man- manually,
2: unless they've added that recently, and I'm not unaware mm-hmm. of it. I know for a long time you couldn't. So.
4: What are you doing, Google?
2: Hey, folks, if you want to get all the tech headlines each day in about five minutes, you can subscribe to DailyTechHeadlines.com, which is available in the Google Podcast app. <laughs> <to hold> <laughs> uh, so check that out, DailyTechHeadlines.com.
3: Thanks to everybody who participates in our subreddit. You can submit stories and vote on others at dailytechnewshow.reddit.com We're also on Facebook, facebook.com slash groups slash dailytechnewsshow. Let's check in with Chris Christensen, the amateur traveler, who's back with reasons to perhaps turn off geotagging mm. on your next trip.
0: This is Chris Christensen from Amateur Traveler with another Tech in Travel Minute. And today we're talking about geotagging and some of the negative things that we are seeing in the real world because of it. So you're in Africa and you see a rhino. What do you do? You pull out your cell phone and you take a picture. Turns out that poachers are now using the geotagged information from unsuspecting tourists to find where animals are so they can poach them which is not something we expected to have happen. The other thing that we're seeing is places like the Grand Tetons National Park are seeing specific sites in the backcountry that are starting to get overwhelmed with tourists because some influencers posted a picture of a particular spot and people are trying to get to that spot to take that picture. And that increase in tourism is causing erosion and traffic problems on some of these smaller trails. So you can turn off geotagging, but will you? And should you? I'm Chris Christensen from Amateur Traveler.
3: I mean, or maybe deliberately post the wrong place. Insert.
1: Ooh, cases,
2: you I know? don't know how you throw them do the that. It's just automatic geotagging. It's either on or off. Yeah, I guess that's true.
3: <laughs> well, you know, it's it, on Instagram. You can get creative, but yeah.
2: Well, that's different than geotagging, right? Yes, right. Although, yeah, yeah,
3: Instagram the suggests of, yeah. things based. I on assumed you meant geotagging. the
2: geotagging that's in your photo, like your photo contains metadata.
4: Just, where do do people get them? Because I think most services nowadays strip away the precise geotagging. Yeah. And- there, are certain,
3: there are certain apps that will bake it in. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it's it, good to know whether your photo has that baked in
4: or You might
2: want to just check that out and turn it off because you might be inadvertently revealing something. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
3: All right. Let's let's uh, let's check
2: out the mailbag in, in, in mega terms. It's Talk Back it- Tuesday. Uh, kick us off, Sarah.
3: All right, Nick wanted to chime in on new Switch rumors. We talked about this yesterday. Nick says, Nintendo has always done mid-cycle refreshes of their handhelds. According to Wall Street video game analyst Michael Pachter on his YouTube Q&A show, Pachter Factor, Nintendo sees the Switch as a handheld, and they have user data that shows over half of all Switch users play in handheld mode. So a mid-cycle refresh is very normal for Nintendo in this case. Also, an upgraded Switch definitely doesn't need to be as powerful as the Xbox One X 110 as they would be targeting the built-in screen which is the current switch which is only 720p but looks nice and sharp. Uh
4: so okay um <laughs> I agree with some of the things Nick is saying I would disagree with uh Michael Pachter uh on the Pachter factor. I
3: assume it's Pachter because Pachter, Pachter would rhyme with maybe. factor <laughs> yeah.
4: Um I don't know that Nintendo sees their Switch as a, a mobile only or mainly mobile. Uh, if half the people are using it mobile, half of them are using it at home. But regardless, uh, I was listening to the show yesterday or earlier today, and I was grumbling in my in my uh, head because, indeed, Nintendo does do uh, mid-cycle refreshes. It, that's a very frequent thing for the Game Boy, the DS, the DSi. Um, and you were asking, "Oh, I wonder what thing uh, uh, Nintendo could add to the high end uh, console to get people to buy it. Well, guess what? anything, anything, and people will rush to buy it, uh, especially core gamers who are in love with the switch as their second or third device. It's incredible how they manage to to create that uh, affection for it um, and the it doesn't need to be as powerful as the Xbox one x i Don't think it would uh, have an upgraded screen necessarily. Maybe, it's possible. Uh, Maybe on the power uh, CPU, GPU side, they would go to the uh, Tegra 2 or whatever updated version of that. Uh, It's currently using the first version. And the lower spec version also makes a lot of sense. It seems it would also be portable and a home version. Um, But essentially, the the big difference between the Switch and the other uh, home consoles or even Uh, uh, portables is that you can have a lot of them in your home so you you would be very happy to buy a more powerful one and give away your you know hand over your previous one to a a sibling or uh, an offspring or someone else
2: Yes, I failed Planet Earth yesterday when I I didn't make it very (laughs) clear that I meant merely GameCube Wii and Wii U when I said Nintendo doesn't do mid-cycle refreshes. I assumed you people knew I wasn't talking about the 3D, 3DS, but uh, that that was a wrong assumption. Uh, That said, I I like Nick's email about the idea of the lower-end Switch sort of being the 3DS successor, and and I like your points about the higher-end one being for those avid gamers who look at the Mm -hmm. Switch as their second console and want it to be more powerful. I think that makes a lot of sense. Uh, We got a lot of emails about the credit card. Uh, Brian said, when a metal credit card is replaced due to expiration or theft, the credit card company will often send you a special return envelope uh, to turn in the old card for destruction. So that's good to know. And then Chris had some thoughts on the Apple card. He says, it's the same as any other credit card, no late fees, but if you're late with your payment, they will raise your interest rate. It's all on their website. It didn't say anything about over-the-limit fees, but I wouldn't be surprised if they raise your rate too. The way they incorporate the card with the wallet is great, but that's just another selling point to get people in debt. Just my two cents. Keep up the great work, Chris. I looked on the website and they do say variable APRs range from 13.24% to 24.24%. Yikes, based on credit worthiness. Uh, And late or missed payments will result in additional interest accumulating toward your balance. I don't know if that means they actually raise your rate immediately, but it certainly means what any revolving credit Limit means, which is you will continue to see what you didn't pay get interest accumulated on top
0: of it.
3: And like the fine print on lots of credit cards, uh, those APRs do get raised when you do things like Mm -hmm. not pay things on time or not pay your minimum. For sure. Well, all right, let's move on to Allison Sheridan, who was actually our guest yesterday. And she wrote in just with a little bit of clarification about the new News Plus app. Allison says, we talked yesterday about most of the Wall Street Journal being in Apple News Plus, with the exception of business news that Brian Stelter over at CNN had mentioned uh, he had uh, seen a Wall Street Journal internal memo that said, that's that's actually not going to be part of this. Allison says, I tried it out yesterday and was reading an article that had links to other articles at the bottom. I clicked one and immediately was up, uh, had to upsell to pay for a full subscription. So basically, she got dumped into the Wall Street Journal asking her to pay more. Allison says, I can live with them eliminating stuff, but doing the upsell within the app untenable to me.
2: Yeah, I saw another story uh, claiming sources were telling them that you'd get three days' worth of archives of The Wall Street Journal in the News plus app. and then after that, uh, you'd get kicked out. But I have not seen the upselling yet. I'll have to I'll have to keep an eye out for that.
1: It's that time of the year. your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves,
3: feel the warm breeze, relax,
1: and think about
3: work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com.
4: The Claude three model family from Anthropic is your one-stop shop for enterprise AI. With models at every point on the price-performance curve,
1: Setting up Stripe was a breeze, taking just minutes to get up and running. From local markets to global retailers, Stripe helped me expand my reach and grow my business with ease. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripecom iPhone. So, if That's you annoying. do have
4: a, if you do have a subscription to the uh, Wall Street Journal, do you get all of your articles available in the Apple no. News Plus app? No. Oh, so you have to go to switch to the Wall Street Journal yeah, website. Yeah, right?
2: and, and in fact, that's mm. kind of annoying because I subscribe to the Scientific American uh, and get access to all of my issues that I've subscribed to going back years in the Scientific American app. And there's no way to link that account to get mm. access within the News Plus app. I, I mean, that's not that big a deal. I'll just go to the Scientific American app to do that. But at least I haven't found out a way to do that yet. Mm. Also, can't find anything from the New York Times. It, it seems to, to be buried or if it's there, it's, it's not immediately. Open.
4: Well, listen, in France, we don't even have the Apple News app at all. So <laughs> consider yourselves lucky.
2: Uh, And then related to last week, Vince had a couple thoughts about Facebook storing passwords in plain text. He said, Diagnostic capturing is done out of band of the normal development cycle by injecting something into the runtime, which routinely includes visibility of secrets. There are ways to mitigate this and Facebook had an unusually long retention, but it's not surprising. Second is that the way enterprise security audits often work is they start with the core of a system and expand out in layers with the caveat that at a certain number of failed controls, the audit is considered failed, stopped and scheduled again in like six months. So if in January this year, Facebook found a system this far out of the standard application data flow, it means their core systems likely have solid security controls in place and working.
4: So it's actually a good thing.
2: Interesting perspective from Vince on that. But I think Bart Bouchot might disagree with you. He had a different perspective on this in uh, the No uh, podcast this weekend, which is worth checking out uh, to hear.
3: Talk about Tuesday was fun. Uh, Let's do it again next Tuesday. Thanks to everybody who writes in with really good questions and comments. You help make us smarter. And we thank you. Also, thanks to Patrick Beja for being with us on Tuesday. Patrick, where do people keep up with your other work?
4: Oh, I guess if you like tech and French, you could listen to Le Rendezvous Tech, which is a tech show in French that I do every week. Uh, And if you enjoy video games, there are two things you could do. Go to uh, subscribe to MVGB if you're a more casual gamer. The monthly video game briefing is a monthly video game briefing for people who are not super hardcore into games. If you are hardcore into games, go check out Pixels, a show I do every couple of weeks where we dive much deeper into what it means to be a gamer, to love games. Uh, it's a show about games. It's called Pixels.
2: Folks, uh, we consider ourselves to be three people with, more, and including Patrick, four people uh, with more than 60 years of experience uh, covering technology news. And we try to share <laughs> what we've learned about that with you. And when we make mistakes, and we do, we have the smartest audience in the world to, to help pick us up and figure out how to understand this. We're all in this together to understand technology. And if you want to be even more of part of it, you should become a member at patreon.com slash DTNS. You'll get a column from Roger every week. You'll get Sarah's testing out of gadgets. You'll get my insights into coverage of technology. It's all available at patreon.com slash DTNS.
3: For example, when I say things like Xbox One Ten, because, you know, I'm a senior and I have senior moments. <laughs> that would be a great reason to become a patron. Put me in my place. Our email address is feedback at dailytechnewsshow.com. We are live Monday through Friday at 4.30 p.m. Eastern, 2030 UTC. Find out more at dailytechnewsshow.com slash live.
2: Back tomorrow with Scott Johnson. Talk to you then.
4: Bye. part of the frog pants network get more at frogpants.com
0: diamond club hopes you have enjoyed this broker <laughs> hi this is janice torres from yo quiero dinero from a local business to a global corporation partnering with bank of america gives your operation access to exclusive digital tools